start the morning with the article this morning. Here, let me just turn off the music because, as I said, I will get in a lot of hella big trouble. Oh, hi! Oh, shit. I had to make sure I didn't push start stream. <laughs> Anyways, I thought that this would be a really great article to share with you because it's been going around. Joe Rogan posted it. I read it and then I really liked it. And uh, even though it's like, of course, of course it has been determined in my brain anyway that you always need the opposite to understand the value of the of its antithetical. Success for failure, darkness for light, ha-ba-da-bee-ba-da-ba-ba-da-boo, yes. And uh, it's always good to see the things that you think and the ideas that you have in your head materialize, you know? Mmm... Good morning. Is Does the morning even really start if you don't have coffee? I don't think so. Mm-mm. October 30th, 2019. Okay, so this is a bit old, but let's read, shall we? <laughs> Failure found to be an essential prerequisite for success. Scientists use big data to understand what separates winners from losers. <clears throat> The recipe for succeeding in any given field is hardly a mystery. Good ideas, hard work, discipline, imagination, perseverance, and maybe a little luck. Oh, and let's not forget failure, which Dushin Wang and his colleagues at Northwestern University call the essential prerequisite for success in a new paper that, among other things, is based on an analysis of 776,721 grant applications submitted to the National Institutes of Health from 1985 to 2015. In their effort to create a mathematical model that can reliably predict the success or failure of an undertaking, the researchers analyzed, sorry, the researchers also analyzed 46 years worth of venture capital startup investments. They also tested the model on what Wang calls their least conventional but nevertheless important data set, 170,350 terrorist attacks carried out between 1970 and 2017. The takeaway, every winner begins as a loser, says Wang, associate professor of management and organizations at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, who conceived and led the study. But not every failure leads to success, he adds. And what ultimately separates the winners from the losers, the research shows, certainly is not persistence. One of the more intriguing findings in the paper published this week in Nature is that people who eventually succeeded and the people who eventually failed tried basically the same number of times to achieve their goals. 
It turns out that trying again and again only works if you learn from your previous failures. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, yes. <laughs> the idea is to work smart, not hard. That's exactly what fucking up is for. It's so that next time you're in a situation that's similar or what have you, you can tweak your response to whatever the stimuli is because you've been through the stimuli, you recognize where you have and where you failed last time, and you can save yourself time the next time around. You might mess up something else, but at least you won't mess up that if you pay close enough attention, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? All right. <clears throat> you have to figure out what worked and what didn't, and then focus on what needs to be improved instead of thrashing around and changing everything, says Wang. The people who failed didn't necessarily work less than those who succeeded. They could actually have worked more. It's just that they made more unnecessary changes. As they explored the mechanisms governing the dynamics of failure and built their model, Wang's team identified what they described as previously unknown statistical signatures that separate successful groups from non-successful groups and make it possible to predict ultimate outcomes. One such key indicator, besides keeping the stuff that works and focusing on what doesn't, is the time between consecutive failed attempts, which should decrease steadily. In other words, the faster you fail, the better your chances of success, and the more time between attempts, the more likely you are to fail again. If someone has applied for a grant and they are three failures in, Wang says, if we just look at the timing between the failures, we, we will be able to predict whether they will eventually succeed or not. Predict. God, that came out weird, didn't it? Mmm. <clears throat> <Huh>. Coffee. <laughs> the massive NIH database, which Wang calls a graveyard full of human failures, turned out to be a researcher's dream come true. For every principal investigator, explains Wang, we know exactly when they failed and we know how badly they failed because we know the scores of the proposal. And we also know when they eventually succeeded after failing over and over and got their first grant. For the startup domain, success was either an IPO or a high-value merger and acquisition. And for terrorism, attacks that killed at least one person were classified as successes, whereas failures were attacks that did not claim casualties. The average number of failures for those who failed at least once before success was 2.03 for NIH and 1.5 for startups and, pardon me, 3.904 terrorist groups. Working with such large data, large-scale data, Wang and his colleagues were able to identify a critical point common to each of the hundreds of thousands of undertakings they analyzed, a fork in the road where one path leads to a progression region and one leads to a stagnation region. As the paper explains, two individuals near the critical point may initially appear identical in their learning strategy or other characteristics, yet depending on which region they inhabit, their outcomes following failures could differ dramatically. This diverging pattern of performance increases with each new attempt, says Wang, although in some cases it is apparent which region a person in a person is in as early as the second attempt. <clears throat> Wang points out that the existence of the tipping point cuts against the traditional explanations for failure or success, such as luck or a person's work habits. 
What we're showing here is that even in the absence of such differences, you can still have very different outcomes, he says. What matters is how people fail, how they respond to failure, and where those failures lead. Looking ahead, Yan Yin, the first author of the study, says next steps include refining the model to quantify other individual and organizational characteristics besides learning from past failures. Wang's model tested now in three disparate domains shows promise as a tool in other arenas, says Albert Laszlo Barabazi, director of a, what a name, of the Center for Complex Network Research at Northeastern University and author of The Formula, The Universal Laws of Success. There are countless works trying to understand how people and products succeed, he says. However, there is very little understanding of the role of failure. Wang's work fundamentally rewrites our understanding of success, showing the key role failure plays in it, finally offering a methodological and conceptual framework to put failure where it belongs within the canon of success. Dun-da-da-da! I mean, I always felt that that was obvious, right? You need to fail. <laughs> You don't succeed without failure. And a lot of people who are very successful, they engage in a lot of high-risk behavior in combination with their good ideas and whatever else they had in their arsenal and uh, failed many times again and again and again. And then every time they failed, they just refined their process of getting to that goal. And then they got there. You know what I mean? But it's a long time, I think. And I think luck still definitely has a part to play in this thing. But I think it's important to understand that failure is not something that should be shied away from. You know what I mean? Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be like, oh, man, whatever. I've... You're supposed to feel a little bit shitty, yes. But at the end of the day, use the failure to learn the lesson and propel yourself forward from it. You know what I mean? That's something that I noticed about like the way I engage in relationships now is like... <laughs> If something happens, I'm a lot quicker in a romantic situation to cut somebody out or not talk to them anymore if I don't like something they do to me more than once. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't. I can't be bothered. This pattern recognition aspect, actually, I shouldn't even say romantic relationships, just relationships in general, right? Like you start to notice as soon as you see a repetitive pattern that you don't like, just cut it out. And in the beginning, I would just continuously give people chances over and over, thus enabling and being a catalyst for that kind of shitty behavior that I didn't like, thus allowing it to just annoy me and take on the bullshit from dealing with it. Whereas now, over time, I've realized in my failures, through my failure to just actually disconnect from the person, to just disconnect. And every time, it takes less and less time. Sure, maybe it's not a career thing or whatever, but it's still an area in which I am <laughs> learning from my failures, and my failures have propelled me forward to more successful outcomes. So that's a, a salient example for me because it's uh, mm, probably one of the best ones, probably one of the lessons I've learned the most and the hardest. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like I need to change this screen. Do we have another article? Shall we read that I have here? Oh boy. People with lower emotional intelligence are more likely to hold right-wing views, study finds. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean... 
It is interesting, but let's see what it says. New research from Belgium provides evidence that deficits in emotion understanding and emotion management are related to right-wing and prejudiced attitudes. The study has been published in the journal Emotion. Oops, I read that as one sentence. Did you like that? <laughs> the study has been published in the journal Emotion. I, I don't... Okay. I have a lifelong interest in political psychology and in political ideology in particular. The observation that left-wing and right-wing adherents tend to differ on so many psychological characteristics is amazing, said study author Alain Van Heel, a professor at the University of Ghent. <coughs> Many scholars have investigated the cognitive basis of ideology in general and right-wing ideological attitudes in particular. In the present study, we wanted to investigate if a similar relationship would exist for emotional abilities. In two studies, the researchers assessed the emotional abilities and political ideology of 983 Belgian undergraduate students. The second study also examined the participants' cognitive ability. Emotional ability was measured with three tests, the situational test of emotional understanding, the situational test of emotion management, and the Geneva Emotion Recognition Test. Hmm. The researchers found that individuals with weaker emotional abilities, particularly emotional understanding and management, tended to score higher on a measure of right-wing authoritarianism and social dominance orientation. Okay. Right-wing authoritarianism is a personality trait that describes the tendency to submit to political authority and be hostile towards other groups, while social dominance orientation is a measure of a person's preference for inequality among social groups. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> the results of the study were univocal. People who endorse authority and strong leaders and who do not mind inequality, the two basic dimensions underlying right-wing political ideology, show lower levels of emotional abilities, Van Heel told SciPost. <sighs> hmm. Those with lower emotional and cognitive abilities were also more likely to agree with blatantly prejudiced statements such as the white race is superior to all other races. I don't know about you guys, but this seems a little biased to me because there is definitely some bigotry in those views. It's just hidden behind some statements, you know what I mean? Um, the, the research is controlled for age, sex, and education level, but like all research, the study includes some limitations. The study only, the study only collected correlational data, preventing inferences of causality from being made. Okay. Of course, caution should be exercised in the interpretation of such results, Van Heel said. One cannot discredit any ideology on the basis of such results as those presently obtained. Only in a distant future we will be able to look back upon our times and then we can maybe judge which ideologies were the best. Cognitively and emotionally, smart people can make wrong decisions as well. No kidding, right? Like, <laughs> what if it's actually the, the lack of emotional intelligence... That causes the, I think it's the extreme end of the spectrums that are the problem for both left and right. I wouldn't even say it was just left or just right. Because, I mean, the, the inclusivity language that's used by the extreme left isn't exactly the greatest either. You know what I mean? <coughs> the results have been obtained in one particular context. Would similar results be obtained in other contexts besides in a Western country with a long-standing, stable democracy? Whether these tendencies are universal or limited to particular contexts is very intriguing. 
Oh, crrr. Well, there was that one. That was kind of anticlimactic. I haven't read a Scientific American in a long time. You know what I mean? So I was like, hey, you know, maybe it's time to read an article. Maybe it's time to start with the article. It's kind of bright up in my face right now. Here we are, though. Good morning. Hi. Let me tell you about my amazing weekend, okay? Because it was so good. <coughs> I had to work on Saturday this week because my work husband and I switched shifts because he wanted to have Sunday or he wanted to have Saturday off. And I was like, of course, I'll cover your shift for you. Not even a problem. I got you, okay? So I work Saturday, which is actually a pretty chill day. You know, the texts come in until about 3.30. And then I have the rest of the place to myself for the rest of the day, which is pretty sweet, right? Because I listen to music. I kid you not. For <clears throat> about nine hours of the day, all I did was listen to music. I just went through my Spotify liked playlist from the very top, which started with Coasted, the new Deadmau5 song, obviously. And, um, <clears throat> what else did I do? I did a lot of lunges and squats and I have my, I always keep my resistance bands with me so that I can, you know, do a little, do a little something, something while I'm walking around. <laughs> and, uh, it keeps me productive and it keeps me moving and it keeps the blood pumping and it keeps me busy. I did some organizing and cleaning and I had to do some other stuff in there and, it was a lot of fun. So Saturday, needless to say, flew by. I just played the Creamfield sets and muted it so that I had some like cool visuals on the big-ass TV we have in there because why not? And I turned one set of the lights off so it wasn't super bright in there. And I just kind of did my thing. And I love having that place to myself. I just feel like the queen of the boxes, you know? <laughs> I was sending Chris all this video. I'm like, oh my God, look. Look at my stack of boxes. It's immaculate. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing Minecraft in real life, motherfucker. Mm. So much freaking fun. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to have positions of work where you kind of get to decide how you manage your time and how you're going to do things and they, there was a study I read a while ago that job satisfaction is greatest in roles where people feel like they have more control over their position. You know what I mean? And it's very true because you don't want to be stuck into this like standardized kind of rule-based position where you have to follow rules and sometimes there's a better way to do it and you can't because you're not going to get paid or you'll be in big trouble or whatever the thing is. You know what I mean? Like some people like their things done a certain way. I was telling my friends last night, um, I can't remember where I was talking about Starbucks. Oh, I think Banksy and I were actually streaming and I was telling him how Starbucks has a lot of standards and, uh, um, you know, we have to follow those. Let me just fix this. There we go. That's a bit better, isn't it? I don't feel like I'm so short now. Um, Banksy and I had a stream last night, or yesterday, uh, my afternoon, after so long. I haven't talked to him in ages, and it was so nice to catch up, you know? 
And uh, I remember he had messaged me and been like, oh, Amy, it would be so nice to, to chat. Like, I've just been in, you know, on a negative place on the internet. And you're like my happy place. So we should get together. And I was like, absolutely, let's do this. So we did. And it was wonderful. As always, Banksy and I always have really nice conversations. And I feel like he really needed to vent and get some shit off his chest. And you know what? It feels better, doesn't it? It feels like you just get a weight off your shoulders and your chest when you get to talk to somebody who listens and understands what's happening and also tells you, hey, fuckface, stop running around all this negative shit because the more you do that, the shittier that you're going to feel. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you can't do anything but blame yourself if that's what you're going to run around and do. Okay? You just can't. It's going to be a big problem for you if that's what you want to do all the time, always. Don't. Why? That has to tell you something about yourself if you're always running to negative shit. And it's funny, right? Like people will try and positive spin it. Oh, it makes me laugh. Oh, ha, ha, ha. I just want to laugh. No, you're an idiot. <laughs> Figure it out, dude. If you are running to negative things, it's because there's something in you that is drawn to the negative thing. Not to say we don't like drama. I definitely enjoy it once in a while, but just stuff once in a while even, you know? I need brainless shit too. Mm. We all do. But... I understand that I have to kind of curate the amount of that negativity, right? Especially when you have those contrasts. Again, that's one thing that makes me see the negative stuff so easily is because there's a lot of positive stuff. So I'm just like, oh, okay, I need to turn the oven off because I'm heating my house right now and it's a little bit warm and that'll need it. I don't even know if you know this about me, but I, I like to warm my house in the winter with the oven because it's much more effective and the heat's on, but sometimes you just need that heat blast. You know what I mean? You need a blast of the heat. And if you don't, well then what are you going to do? Be cold in the winter? No, not here. This week is supposed to be very chilly, about minus four degrees Celsius, which is never, never fun. I mean, I cry at like eight degrees <laughs> above zero. So you can imagine my complainery when it starts to get really cold. And you know, it's so funny because mid-December, close to mid-December, Brian and I were planning a camping trip, which, oh yeah, I totally forgot to tell you. So yesterday... Myself and Brian and our friend Natalie, we went out for steak dinner and it was so amazing. Mmm. So delicious. First of all, there is just something to the idea of sitting down with people that you really like and enjoying a meal together. <sighs> you know, like that we laugh and just have such a nice time. We had a, we had a glass of wine, Nat and I. Brian had a, had a delicious extra spicy Caesar. I think that's his drink, I've noticed. And um, we sat there for a while and we just kind of picked at our food. We had, we had 
oppies. What do we have for oppies? Escargot? Because we fancy bitches. I wouldn't eat them if they weren't in a mushroom cap and in this like crazy delicious garlic butter sauce. It's so garlicky and so buttery. And then afterwards, they give you bread, right? So you break that bread up. You put a little butter on it and you dip it in that garlic sauce. And it is delicious. And these are the moments, the priceless moments in life that just bring so much joy to it. You got to go out and you got to eat with your friends and you got to have a good time. And that's a good feeling. <laughs> oh my God, like <clears throat> just this role that I'm on right now, I was telling Brian, I'm like, oh my God, I love that I'm, I'm working six days a week. Every Saturday night, I've been out with somebody, you know, like I'm really enjoying my time, having a good time, going out, like getting to enjoy the fruits of my labor and just th the one day a week is perfect. I don't get time to really get out and spend money otherwise, which is pretty sweet. I'm just hoping to continue to build that momentum because I got to tell you, it feels really good. And like, I'm just counting my blessings, dog. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I actually don't even have anything super crazy to talk about. I have a few things on my mind that I wanted to get into but it was a themed thing. Like, for the first time in a long time on Saturday, I listened to music and so many of the lyrics were hitting me, right? Because I was thinking at the same time, but I was listening to some old tracks. Like, if you've ever heard Power by Kanye West, you know, that song, that song, that song is short, but it packs such a punch. And the lyrics are actually quite genius if you've listened to the song. He is wicked Kanye West that that era of his career I think it was around graduation and when that song came out like he was just I don't even know but he was producing music that just made you feel like you were on top of the world you know what I mean and I was listening to that song and I felt different when I was listening to it this weekend I was like oh my god I feel this shit right now, you know? I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this so hard. At the end of the day, God damn it, I'm killing this shit. I know damn well y'all feeling this shit. I don't need your pussy bitch. I'm on my own dick. I ain't got a power trip. Who you going home with? Oh my God, I love it. That line of his, it's so crude. I don't need your pussy bitch. I'm on my own dick. I love that. That's my favorite. <laughs> I don't need you. I got me, okay? Don't get it twisted. I love that. Oh, my God. Reality is catching up to me. Taking my inner child and fighting for its custody. Like, that's so crazy. It's so crazy good. That's how I always feel, too. I'm like, oh, my God. When shit just starts catching up and you're like, I don't want to lose this immature inner child side of me because I love it so much. Like, I feel like I have a really good relationship with my immaturity and the childlike aspect of my personality and I don't want to lose that ever you know I don't even know if I can I'm such an obnoxious like character you know what I mean I like to cause obnoxious trouble not actual trouble for people but I like to run around and do stupid shit you know like make silly snapchat videos and reel people into doing silly stuff or whatever <laughs> just having some fun Adding some levity, you know? Levity is my rage against the routine. 
what else are you gonna do you're gonna sit there and make shit boring you can you can add to the pile of people that are sitting at their desks and hating their lives every day because they have to be at work or you could not (laughs) or you could have fun and just make people feel like it's just eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it is. Don't make such a big deal out of it. Relax. Do what you're supposed to do. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Make the most of it. Find the silver lining. And uh, your day will probably go by a lot faster than you think at work. You know, it's all an attitude thing. It's all an attitude thing. And if you're always looking at the clock and you're like waiting for the day to end, don't you feel like it takes longer? I try not to look at the time and then I'm like, what the hell? It's already eight o'clock. I've only got half an hour. I've been here for 10 hours. Like, where did the time go? It's the beauty of keeping yourself busy and doing productive things. Because if you're doing that kind of stuff, well, what's happening is uh, you're spending the time doing things and the time is just flying by. You know what I mean? Another thing that I recently listened to that I really, really enjoyed, and it's honestly one of my favorite dynamics on podcasts, is Mr. Joe Rogan and Tim Dillon together on a recent episode. They talked about so many things, you know, Epstein, conspiracies, not like actual conspiracies, well, kind of, but just the concept of conspiracies, right? And how it's so easy to get into that line of thinking when there's so many unanswered questions. But the problem always comes when people think that unanswered questions actually serve as like a bridge to a conclusion that is not correct. Just because questions are unanswered doesn't mean that you can come up with a conclusion and say that it must be true because the questions are unanswered. No, dickhead. The questions are just unanswered. Okay? And nobody's saying people don't conspire because obviously they fucking do. (laughs) But we love those, don't we? We love those. I know that there have definitely been times where I've just been like really into some crazy conspiracy theory because I just find it interesting. It's interesting to see how badly the mind wants to fill gaps in with answers that we don't have. You know, this is just this is a bug or it's 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 a feature of the brain. We don't like incoherence. We don't like gaps. That's why God of the gaps of is a thing that's why x of the gaps is a thing i mean it's something that people just do right when you don't have answers from somebody else and you feel a little bit off what do you start doing you start thinking well it could be this it could be that it could be this i bet they're this i bet they're feeling this i bet they're feeling that and you don't even know what they're feeling because why would you because you haven't talked to them And all you have are fragments of information that you're now putting together to create some grand story that's not even legit. So that's a really difficult habit to get out of. You know what I mean? I know sometimes when I don't talk to somebody for a long time or it's been a few days or whatever it is, I just feel kind of weird, right? And then you're like, oh my God, what if they don't like me anymore? Did I do something to them? Like, (laughs) it's just all stupid shit. And then you start to realize... If you start thinking about it properly and asking the right questions like, 
They haven't said anything to me, maybe because, probably most likely because they're busy. The last time we interacted, it was totally fine. And this, 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 and that. You just have to go through the factors and kind of calm yourself down and out of that habit of just like, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to fill in information where I don't have it because I'm very uncomfortable with no answers. Yes, 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 very uncomfortable. And then, you know. <laughs> You do it less and less, but your brain still tries and it always will. Hopefully you have that mechanism that pops in, which is like, hey, stupid, pay attention. That's not what's happening. You're making shit up and you're causing yourself problems. So just stop it. Okay. Mm. This coffee is so killer this morning. <sighs> I got to savor it. Hmm. Looks like my eyebrows are finally starting to grow back. You know, it's really unfortunate if the eyebrows get messed up just because, you know, they, they make a big difference, right? And my eyebrows are pretty thick. So when she does them really thin, first of all, it doesn't look very good. It doesn't look very good to have super thin eyebrows. Um, on my face, hence why I do like to fill them in while they're just being fixed and growing right now because you can see a little bit of a gap right there. You can see a little bit of a gap right there and that kind of bothers me. You know what I mean? I don't like walking out of the house with that gap of the eyebrows. Mm-mm, girlfriend. No, no, no. Plus, it looks good to have those strong eyebrows, you know, with that solid arch. I've gotten a lot of compliments. People are like, fucking love your eyebrows right now. I'm like, I know. <laughs> but don't get it twisted. Know that they are drawn. That that they're filled in. Sorry, obviously this is not drawn. I have eyebrow hair. I saw that shit, right? When you see that shit, people just like remove their eyebrows and then they they draw them on. Sorry, I gotta fix this hair yeah they draw their eyebrows on they'll just wax that shit off because they barely have any hair like girls who have who have really blonde hair sometimes they have thin eyebrows and it just doesn't do for them so they just fucking rip them all off and then they draw them on and honestly is it really that difficult to get a pencil that matches your hair color or if you want to go darker which is fine don't go the darkest it looks really strange I don't understand how people look at themselves in the mirror with that mismatch where they have like that sandy blonde hair and then they just have like jet black eyebrows. I'm like, how, what are you doing? Did you mean to look like that or do you actually think that looks good? Because right now you look like an angry transvestite and I just don't understand the look that you were going for, you know, like wh what is it? <laughs> I mean, it's a great way to capture attention and stuff, but I just don't understand the the mismatch. You know, it would be like me waxing my eyebrows off and doing like green or something or like pink the, where the contrast is so stark and in your face and the shape, it's always, oh, it's so arched. They always like to do that. <sighs> like a roller coaster <laughs> like a roller coaster is a big lift here and then a big drop it's almost like just straight triangles like the classic jack-o-lantern you know what i mean 
Oh my gosh. I, I just wonder. Sometimes I really wonder, you know. Um, I don't lately walk out of the house looking like a total clown because, you know, my clothes got old for so long and I hadn't bought any. And now it's like I'm, I'm refreshing my wardrobe and I'm getting new clothes and I'm fucking enjoying the shit out of that. And by the way, don't listen to what people tell you, okay, about looks don't matter. Do you know how good it feels when you get a nice set of clothes and you wear them out? Your confidence is increased. You will feel better. People will say your outward appearance doesn't matter and ultimately it doesn't. But if you want to feel good, understand that it matters to look good, okay, to put a little bit of effort into yourself. Like, this is something that Brian and I were talking about recently because like I've started to buy new clothes. He started to kind of take care of his hair and actually have hair because he would just like shave it off before. And it totally makes a difference in how he looks. And like just dressing a certain way makes you feel a certain way. So it is worth it to put in effort to look good. If you want to put that that like in the world, you know, do it. Go buy yourself some new clothes. Buy a nice shirt. Buy a nice pair of pants. Buy yourself a nice pair of shoes. Go out and you will just feel better. I love that shit, man. I love looking fly as fuck with my friends hanging out just like, and I don't even try that hard, you know, just a simple nice new shirt and like a nice pair of pants and some boots. Girl, mm-mm. I'm owning this autumn and this winter this year. And I want to go get a nice winter jacket too, but I have one this year and I'm thinking maybe once the sales hit, I'll go and get a nice North Face one or something, but it ain't that cold yet. It has not arrived, you know, but I got winter boots. Actually, I don't have winter boots. I have work boots. So I guess that's something I need to consider getting too. See, Vancouver is pretty mild in terms of winter. I'm just a baby, so I complain about the cold. I don't like it when it gets in the negative. It's so funny. I was telling them yesterday, my friends, because I, I lived in Prince George for a couple of years and it got so cold there in the winter where it was minus 45 degrees Celsius. Do you understand what I just told you? Minus 45 degrees Celsius, okay? And with the wind chill one morning, it was minus 60 degrees Celsius. Minus 60, 60 below zero. You have no idea how cold it is if you've never been in that kind of weather. And yeah, it sounds cold, but you have no idea. You walk outside, your eyes start to water, but immediately as they water, they freeze in your tear ducts. Like we had to wear these crazy ninja masks to get to work because it was so cold. We were layered. Thank goodness that's when I was fattest because if I wasn't, I probably would have frozen three minutes outside of my apartment because it was so cold. <laughs> Oh my God, I was telling Brian yesterday and that I'm like, I would not have survived Prince George if I wasn't super fat. Now it's like I'm always freezing cold, you know? Maybe I should get fat again. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I'm just going to keep my little bit of pudge that I've got on me. That works. That works for me, you know? This stuff is a lifesaver during the winter seasons. I am pretty sure I've... I'm not even sponsored or whatever. 
Okay, just so you know, this is a virtue signal because I love the product so much that I think that you need to get it. It's a little tube of Vaseline lip therapy. And I always find that in autumn and in winter, my lips get a little bit chapped because it starts to get cold and the air gets a little bit drier. So the way that I've found to remedy that is um, that stuff. And I'm actually a huge proponent of lip gloss, but it's not the best or optimal during this time of year. So that's what we use for now. You know what else I've been doing? Shopping for Pandora charms for my Pandora bracelet because I motherfucking can. But there's just too much selection right now. And that is the problem with a lot of things, isn't it? Netflix, things to watch, all this kind of stuff. Option paralysis. Like, tell me what I should watch. I get suggestions from friends and stuff. Other than that, I can't be bothered to just pick something and try it <laughs> because there's so much choice. So most of the time, if I ever catch myself sitting in front of Netflix, which is usually at work on my break, just to occupy myself so I can, you know, sit down for a bit or have some background noise while I'm doing whatever else, um, I can never pick something to watch because I, I don't know what's good or not. And I just, a lot of stuff looks interesting. So I just end up going through the menu for like 15 minutes and then I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I don't want to watch. I can't handle the sheer amount of options that are available to me. It's like, well, what if I watch this and miss out on this? And what if I, I don't, I don't know. And then I just conclude that I don't think this is something that I should be even spending my cognitive currency on. I should probably just go read Mein Kampf and shut the hell up and sit down. Or listen to a podcast because, you know, I get a lot of joy out of that. But yeah, oh yeah, that podcast that I was telling you guys about, Tim Dillon and Joe Rogan talking about conspiracies and Epstein, talking about YouTube comments, which are awesome. That, that I definitely agree with them, right? Joe has this philosophy where he's like, I do not read comments. It's not real, dude. It's just not real. I mean, yes, someone said those things and someone typed them to me, but... You have to recognize that these people do not know you. Therefore, it is just pointless to read their comments. And a lot of people who are online are just angry and they hate their lives because they're not doing what they want to do with it. Yeah, no kidding. And instead of trying to do that, they're just expending that energy online, saying negative shit to people and thinking they're funny. I mean, like, if you're at the level of internet comment etiquette and you're leaving comments, I could get that. That's actually artsy, crafty bullshit, right? It's creative. No one does comments as funny as internet comment etiquette. He is just hilarious and very creative. And um, a lot of people aren't. You know, they're just mad. They mad. I get compelled to leave YouTube comments every now and again. And it's always just super stupid. Like, oh my God, this is dope. Or yes, queen. That's my favorite one. Yes, queen. <laughs> like I left that comment on the new Coasted video, right? The, the Dead Mouse song that I'm super obsessed with right now. Because it's so good. So good. I wish I could live in that guy's brain for a day. I wish I could see him make a song. I wonder how long it would take. There's this crazy song that I love listening to. It's called Cthulhu Sleeps, and there's just so much going on in it. 
And if you listen very closely, it's crazy. I just don't even understand how many hours he put into that song. But he always makes his songs like six to eight minutes long, which is awesome. There's always a great build. There's always a, an exit. And I really like it. It's like the, the song is like a story. You know what I mean? Even though there's no lyrics and no words in most of them. But uh, just the creativity of noises and shit. And, and the, the ambiance. The ambiance that's created. That's my shit, yo. But enough about that, because I could talk about him forever. I've only been listening to him obsessively for, I don't know, a few months now. And I don't think I'm going to get over it. I can't start the morning without the three songs, the trifecta. You know, Strobe is my number one favorite song by him. It's a classic. It's so good. It feels so good to listen to. It's just got a vibe about it that's like... Oh, it's so good and warm and fuzzy for me. And then Avaricious is another one. That song is so good. And then there's another one called FML. Starts with drums. It's pretty dope. Like I can see a streak of dust on top of my webcam. And we don't like that, do we? No, we don't. No, we don't. I'm thinking of getting another mic. And I think I'm going to plug it here on the side. Because my couch is actually right next to me here. So wouldn't it be cool if I could get like Brian or Victoria here and we could chat and we can have people over and actually do live little comfy podcasts. That's something I'm going to try and force my friends into doing. You know, let's come talk. Come talk with me. Why y'all being so shy and stuff? You know, it's nice to get people out to talk. Like it's nice to get Banksy on and we have a chat and it's just like, Normal friends having a chat about healthy shit, you know, not being negative. I understand that's what people like to watch. They like to watch the roasty, blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to stay in my lane because I understand what I'm good at and not good at. And roasting is something that is like an in the moment thing for me. Sometimes I'm given the material to make a joke within the moment. Otherwise, not so much. I get a little bit just kind of weird about making fun of how people look because it's super easy (laughs) I like the deeper darker insults you know like things about your character and personality (laughs) fuck your appearance dog anybody could look at you and make jokes about how you look that's just low-hanging fruit shit Ugh, ugh, no I mean unless you look really stupid then I kind of have to right then it is on your friends to make fun of you if you look that silly. Duh, hello, yeah. Your friend shouldn't be letting you leaving, letting you leave the house without making fun of you if you look that silly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to go get some plaid pants. You know what? I am going to just degenerate into blah 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 blue so i'm going to end this here if you have hung out with me today up to here thank you very much appreciate your time appreciate the listen the article um links will be in the description this was a video so if that's something you like patreon me five dollars a month and you'll get hooked up with the video Um, because I'm obviously not going to just throw that on YouTube. It's extra work. And uh, the whole point of the ordeal is to, for FaceTime, $5 for FaceTime, okay? That's how we roll here. $5, $5 for FaceTime. 
and then you will come say hi. Okay, okay. I hope you have a great day, my dears out there. Stay warm, stay cozy, don't be a dick. You know, all the good old shit. You know. I got the power, make your life so exciting. Uh, hey. <laughs> okay, bye. How much you ate? Natalie's a failure, right, Natalie? <laughs> <laughs>